All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles this morning and turn to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. And I want to start us out this morning on the subject of remission. Remission. And while we're going to Exodus 34, I would like to just have you dog ear a thought. Where and when do we hear that word more often in our culture now? Outside of theology, when and where do we hear that word? Because we're going to talk about that a little bit, a little bit this morning. We're going to talk about remission, the remission of sins. The Bible talks about the remission of sins. What does that mean? Uh, there's a very important significance to that word. And we pick up things in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him that is, before Moses, and proclaimed. Now, this is the Lord describing himself and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in these moments we have together, help us to understand in a deeper, more significant way and in a personal way just what it is you did for us to save us and just what all was involved. We realize, Lord, that even eternity will not suffice to grasp all these great truths. But may we get something this morning that we can take with us and go forth into this world rejoicing in your redemption and in your salvation for us. And we pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So this description of himself, God is talking about some... Uh, moral and natural attributes, but mostly focusing in on the moral attributes of himself. And when I say moral attributes, when you see words like merciful in verse 6, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, and notice the word mercy in verse 7, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now, so far, we got all these terms that are, are talking about God in terms of, of being merciful and forgiving. And then you hit that comma after the word sin in verse 7, and then he makes this statement, and that, by will, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Now, you say, why that statement in there? That's because this is pre-crucifixion. This is before the cross of Jesus Christ. This is before the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Now, after that, he can clear the guilty. Remember, we talked about redemption, to buy back. Remember, we talked about justification by faith. We talked about imputed righteousness, where God takes his righteousness in the person of Christ and gives it to us and imputes it to us and then imputes our sins to his son, Jesus Christ. All of that is possible in a New Testament setting because of the cross. This is before the cross. 
So what is God saying here? God is saying that before the cross, he could be merciful, he could be gracious. And I think that word long-suffering is especially important because God was allowing people, um, let's just use the phrase, cutting them slack, and there was no complete sacrifice made. God has, what we're seeing a description of here in these two verses is God's forbearance without the redemptive atonement. Remember something, uh, Paul is very clear in the book of Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats and calves and things of that nature could never take away sin. They would just allow God to sweep them under the carpet for a while, but he still knew they were there. His righteousness hadn't been satisfied. His holiness hadn't been satisfied. And so that's why he describes himself in those terms in verse 6 and the first part of verse 7, because to be frank, listen up very clearly. I'll give it to you in, in plain vernacular. God was putting up with a lot without the redemptive atonement to just overlook the sins of the obedient and not put them in hell. God was putting up with a lot. God was looking forward to Christ dying on the cross and being a complete and sufficient sacrifice to take away our sins. Remission doesn't take away sins. Anymore, remember I told you to think of this word, any more than remission means somebody is cured of cancer. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So this is an important distinction. And um, we need to take our Bibles and go to Romans chapter 3 to see the completion of this puzzle this puzzle of this distinction between remission, God just overlooking the sins of the obedient. And when I, mean, when I say obedient, I mean those that brought the prescribed sacrifices and did what they were told to atone for those sins so that God could sweep them under the carpet temporarily. But they were only swept under the carpet so much so that remember something, an Old Testament saint didn't go straight to heaven when he died. He went to Abraham's bosom or paradise. He could not go into the presence of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, we find out that Jesus at the resurrection led captivity captive. He took those Old Testament saints out of paradise, out, out, of, um, out of that place, and brought them into the presence of God. They could now go into the presence of God because God could clear the guilty. The sins were taken away. And those, those Old Testament saints were now redeemed. You and I don't wait around to get into the presence of God after death. I can tell you right now, Tim Derry and others that have gone on to be with the Lord are with the Lord. Why is that? Because Christ has died for us. The, the atonement, the redemptive atonement that takes away sin... The Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, has done his job. And so to be absent from the body, Paul said, is to be present with the Lord. Not present with other Old Testament saints in paradise, but to be present with the Lord. Thus the distinction. All right, let's look at Romans chapter 3. And Paul alludes to all of this in Romans chapter 3. And we start in verse 19. 
Romans chapter 3 and verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. In the book of John, we read, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. There is a distinction. Same God. Don't make the mistake of thinking there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. Same God, but the distinction is between God in the Old Testament who had to overlook sin through animal sacrifices and forbear, or in the New Testament, he could completely clear us in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God, without the law, is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, watch verse 22, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believed, there, for there is no difference. So, Paul is making it clear that what the law could not do and that the law just declared our guilt, Jesus Christ did by dying on the cross for our sins and being raised the third day. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the, watch that next word, redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, we're now justified. We're now redeemed through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now watch verse 25 very carefully. He says, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation. Remember, a propitiation was a sacrifice made to bring two parties that were at enmity back together. Those two parties were us and God. Christ is that payment. And God himself provided that payment to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, now watch this, to declare his righteousness for the remission of the sins that are passed through the what? What's that next word that starts with an F? Forbearance of God. That's what Paul's referencing. Paul's referencing that under that Old Testament program, God had to forbear. But now that Christ has come, now that Christ has come, God can declare his righteousness for the remission of the sins that are past, and he could bring those Old Testament saints in on the program because God was forbearing during that time. And then look at 26. Here's the crux of the matter. To declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So your liberal says, you know, why all the fuss over blood atonement? Why all the fuss about God's holiness? Aren't we just all brothers, and isn't God a loving God, and isn't God just going to kind of wink and overlook, it, overlook sin and just kind of let everybody in? But it doesn't work that way, folks. Verse 26, he must be just. Remember something, God's natural and Moral attributes are immutable. That means they don't change. When we talk about natural attributes, we're talking about things like being omniscient, all-knowing, or omnipresent, all-present, or uh, things of that nature. When we talk about his moral attributes, we're talking about 
holiness, justice, love, mercy, and things of that nature. You got to understand that when you go from Genesis to Revelation, you realize that the one that the one moral attribute that all of his other attributes, moral or natural, give way to is the attribute of holiness. God is first and foremost holy. That means he's without sin. That means sin repulses him. And so sin has to be dealt with. So in Christ, look at verse 26 again. His righteousness could be declared in this program because he could be just while still justifying him which believeth in Jesus. He couldn't do that in the Old Testament. He couldn't be just and justify an Old Testament saint with the blood of an animal. It just didn't satisfy the need to his holiness. And that's the program, and that was the necessity of Jesus Christ coming. Otherwise, if those Old Testament sacrifices would have sufficed, then why would Christ even come? What would be the purpose? There wouldn't have been any. So Paul goes on to say here, he says, then, um, where is boasting then? It is excluded, verse 27. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. And if you're saved here this morning, you have nothing to boast of when it comes to your salvation. The only thing I did to be saved was I put my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He did everything else. And there is no boasting. If we had gotten it by works, then, then there would be grounds to boast. And could you imagine being in heaven with a heaven full of people that got there by their works, how obnoxious they would be? And you'd have to include all of us too, right? Because we'd all be bragging about how we got there and what we did to get there. But it's not going to be that way, folks. When you read the book of Revelation, the, the, all the praise is to the Lamb. Christ is referred to over and over, especially in the end of the book of Revelation, as the Lamb, the Lamb. The glory and the praise goes to the Lamb, the one that was sacrificed for our sins. And we'll know for eternity that's why we're there, that's how we got there, and who deserves the praise and the glory and the honor. And so we talk about this word remission. So when you see the word remission, what you're looking at is you're not looking at the cure, you're looking at the cancer of sin going into suspension or sort of down low for a while. And that's, that's the, the, the analogy translates perfectly from the medical to the spiritual and vice versa. Now I'm going to talk to you a little bit for a couple minutes about the subject of cancer. And you know, it's funny... Um, we're always shocked when, when it happens to someone we know or ourselves or somebody in our family. But here's the statistics in the good old USA. Three out of five families will be touched by cancer, meaning three out of five families will have somebody in their immediate family that gets cancer. One out of three women, one out of three women and one out of two men in the United States will get cancer. But we don't want to talk about it. We're shocked when it happens. But it is a reality, and unfortunately, it's a more common reality than, than we often realize. And um, let me just say a couple things to you here. Um, I'm, I'm thankful here that I've been living with cancer for over 20 years, 
and that I have a church full of people that support me with prayer and less so with their medical advice. <laughs> I'm grateful for that, okay? And I'm especially grateful for that when I go and preach a meeting somewhere away, especially on the other side of the country. And there's always some genius in a church everywhere that's heard about you know, the chronic form of leukemia that I have, and he's got some kitchen table remedy that he's going to jam me with. And I don't mind people. Look, I understand it, it, it's probably coming from a good motive, but after they follow you around for five days badgering you, I'm, I'm, I'm required to say at some point just to get them off my back, and I had to do this not too long ago. Um, I, I turned and I said to the guy, I said, I said, am I missing something here? He said, what do you mean? I said, did I ask you to be my doctor? I, I don't recall that conversation, but maybe we had it, and I just forgot about it. And he finally got the message. <laughs> he finally got the message. So let me say this. Um, be careful, and, and I'm, i got to be careful about how I say this. Be careful that you don't, if you ever get diagnosed with cancer, it's a very shocking, traumatizing thing. And usually people get visions of needles and sickness with chemo and radiation and hair falling out and all that other bad stuff. And uh, believe me, I'd like to stand here and tell you that, that none of that is true, but some of it is. And, and I'm grateful today right now that I'm a little over halfway through a six-month regimen that Lord willing is going to put me into complete remission, CR they call it, with MRD, minimal residual disease. But I'm just going to admit too, it's not fun. The fatigue and the achiness are off the charts. And it's just the way it is. And so because of all that kind of stuff, people tend to want to flee to something where there's no side effects and it works on everybody for everything. And the reason I have to offer it to you and the medical profession won't offer it to you is because they're all heretics that just want to take your money and I really love you. Okay, that's the basic message. All right? Now look, I'm not going to criticize somebody for going that route, especially if, if regular medicine, the regular medical community, the standard medical community has said there's nothing we could do for you. I wouldn't blame anybody for trying whatever. I'm, I'm not trying to say that. But I'm just saying, watch out. There's a lot of witch doctors out there. All right? There really are. And there's people running around, you know, they, they believe if you just shove... Uh, ground up banana peels up your nose, it'll solve anything. And believe me, as ridiculous as that example is, I've, I've had more ridiculous ones thrown at me. And so I really appreciate that at home here with my family, my church family, I get, my, I get your prayers and I get your encouragement and then I get your tolerance and consideration when I'm dragging a little bit. And if I'm dragging and I'm not explaining everything to you all the time, it's not because I'm trying to keep secrets or, or do something clandestine. I just would rather just push through and move on to other things. Amen? And my biggest prayer that I ask you to pray for me is that I would be a good stewardship. I would be, excuse me, I would have good stewardship, be a good steward of this trial. Okay? Because trials are given to us as a stewardship.
and that I would be a good steward and push through and be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and give everything I got when I'm called upon to do what I need to do. But in the meantime, what I'm looking forward to is hopefully CR, complete remission. What does that mean? It doesn't mean you're cured. It means that the, the uh, cancer is sort of swept under the carpet for a while. It's inactive for a while. And I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor, uh, I'm praying that you're going to be cured and God showed me you're going to be cured and all this other stuff. And medically speaking, it's not a curable cancer. It's something I will probably die with, not of. And a lot of people that have been waiting around for me to die, I've been to their funerals. <laughs> okay. And I may preach a few of those. All right. And I'm doing quite fine. I'm looking for no pity, no pity whatsoever. The only thing I regret is that sometimes when I'm playing goal and we're pinned in our end for a long period of time and I'm just out of gas because of this stuff I'm taking, I can't make that one move that would stop that puck. That's what really hurts. <laughs> Pulling the puck out of the net as a goalie. That's what really hurts. If you want to know what hurts. But... Um, what I'm looking forward to, by God's grace, is remission. And uh, with this little regimen that I'm on right now, um, I could go into remission for six months, a year, ten years, who knows. And if I could get a five to ten year remission, which they would call that a durable remission, uh, that would be a great blessing because that means the disease is out of play for that amount of time and I'm having to take no drugs whatsoever for that amount of time too which is a nice little perk as well. And so sometimes I'll have somebody say, well, I'm praying you're going to get healed. And you know what I say to them? I say, praise the Lord. I hope God answers your prayer. But I've settled on the idea that I'm just going to live with cancer. And I'm going to die with it, probably not of it. And like I said, that's a reality for three out of five American families, one out of two American men, and one out of three American women. And that's just a little advice here and there that I would like to give you on that subject. But that's what they had in the Old Testament. They had remission. They had remission. But in the New Testament, we got the cure. Through Jesus Christ, we have redemption. We have the propitiation that gives us justification by faith and imputed righteousness through the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just give you that little explanation because it really fits with what we're talking about here. All right, let's look at the last shun word. And Lord willing, we'll get through it. If we don't, we'll finish it up next week. But the last shun word is the word glorification. Glorification. And I don't know about you folks, but that's the one I'm looking forward to. Now, we have a complete redemption, folks. Body, soul, and spirit. But we don't have our new bodies yet. And that's the incomplete part of it. This is the completion of our redemption. Our spirit is joined to the Lord. The Bible says he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Our soul is saved. Our sins have been taken care of in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we were judged for the penalty of our sins, the eternal penalty of our sins, once and for all at Calvary with Jesus Christ. So our souls are saved. But our bodies aren't there yet. Amen? Get up any morning, look in the mirror, and there's plenty of proof of that, that you don't have your glorified bodies. Now, we all did the best we could and came to church here this, this morning looking the best we could, but we don't have our glorified bodies. And I'm looking for the day 
when we will get our glorified bodies. And what is glorification? It's the imparting of supernatural heavenly characteristics. Supernatural heavenly characteristics. What do I mean by that? Well, look, I can be in perfectly great health, but that doesn't mean I can walk through this pulpit, okay? I don't have a supernatural body. If I had a supernatural body, I could walk through the pulpit. If I had heavenly characteristics, I wouldn't be talking to you about being treated for cancer, amen? And nobody would be talking here about being sick or any, any semblance of that kind of thing. So what we're looking at is the imparting of supernatural heavenly characteristics. Now, I, I make that distinction, and it's very important because we live in an area where Mormonism is very prominent, and, and they talk about exaltation. Don't confuse the two. In Mormon theology, they're talking about becoming a god on equal par with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of creation, and the God of this Bible. And no such thing is true, folks, and no such thing is even possible. All right? We're not going to be God on the level of God. That's just not going to happen. Um, in fact, when you really get down to it, that's, that's attitude-wise, that's a reenactment of the sin of Lucifer. When he said, I will be like the Most High, I will do this, I will do that. And that's what caused Lucifer to fall, folks. We're not looking for exaltation. But we can look forward, if you're saved here this morning, to being glorified, having a glorified resurrection body. Now, we had a memorial service yesterday. And uh, we talked about Brother Tim being with the Lord. But he is their spirit and he is their soul. He has a soulish body. You say, how do you know that? You read Luke chapter 16, and the rich man in hell lifted up his eyes. And he talked about his tongue needing some water. And he was talking to Abraham. A, a soulish body is, is apparently somewhat like a body, but it's a soul. And it's not a resurrection body. Remember something. These bodies we have now are real, and the, and the resurrection bodies will be real as well. It's just they're going to be suited for another realm to live in. They're not going to be suited for, for this place. They're going to be suited for where we're going. And so there will be real resurrection bodies. So uh, one of these days, God is going to say to Brother Tim at the resurrection, he's going to say to Brother Jim Holtam, at the resurrection. He's going to say to Brother Gary Kester at the resurrection. He's going to say to Sister Heidi Holt at the resurrection. He's going to say to Brother Rick Weston at the resurrection. He's going to say, you've been laying there long enough. Get up. <laughs> Get up. Because they're with him right now, soul and spirit. But their bodies are where? <clears throat> they're here in a grave. They're here in a grave. We all know that. We, we realize that the, at the internment, we realize that at the putting the body down into the ground. So one of these days, the Lord's going to say up, and he's going to give new bodies. He's going to change these bodies and fashion them like unto his glorious resurrection body. And I'm getting way, way ahead of myself because I know that I don't have enough time to finish this this morning, so I wanted to just give you those couple things right there. But you know... Um, I was thinking of Brother Joe Pasola going through all these surgeries, 67% of his body having third-degree burns. 
I always think of what the Bible says in the Old Testament when the leper was healed. Like the flesh, the Bible says the flesh of a little child. The flesh of a little child. And, and Brother Joe won't have any more problems with what happened to him with that, that burn that he experienced. It'll be all gone. He'll have perfect flesh. It'll be resurrection flesh. It'll be supernatural. It'll be heavenly. You say, I don't understand that. Neither do I. So please, when the service is over, don't come up to me and ask me to explain that. Because I can't. <laughs> I can't. Um, I, I think a little uh, Chloe. I think a little Chloe. And um, I remember the look on her face for the last year. And I said to my, my wife more than once, I said, honey, I think... Chloe wants to go home. She just had that look on her face like, I've had enough of this. And you know, you live in pain and suffer long enough, you can get that attitude. You ever meet an older person, a really older person? I mean, somebody as old as Bob Aldridge. <laughs> and, and they'll say to you, I'm ready. I've had enough. I've had enough. And, 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 and people can reach that point. And um, I remember Brother Tim, he would come up to me and he'd give me my hearing impaired thing to sit there if I wasn't preaching. And the reason I use that is because behind me, behind this pulpit, this direction is an echo chamber. And so it's, it's hard to understand what's being said. So I use that to understand it. And he'd come up to me and i how you doing, Tim? And he'd always say, I'm all right. I'm all right. And he was kind of excited the last month or two because he really felt like they were headed toward getting a, a transplant and, and being off of dialysis and things of that nature. But there were times I would look at him and he just, you could just tell he had that look in his eye like, you know, I'm, I'm really getting tired of this. I'm really getting tired of this. And you get sick long enough, you'll get tired of it. You'll get tired of it and you'll want that new body, that new body that isn't subject to all this other junk. You'll look forward to it someday. And the Lord's someday going to say, get up. You've been laying there long enough. I think of Shiloh Byer and uh, all the prayer requests for her and, and the nasty regimen that she's having to go through now just to get to something that, that might work a lot better. And it's just the nature of things, insurance and policies and governments and stuff like that and, and, and the massive amounts of money involved with all this stuff. And uh, one of these days, these things will not be in play for God's children. All gone, folks. All gone. You read the book of Revelation, you see so much in the book of Revelation describing heaven in terms of what won't be there. There won't be any sin. There won't be any liars. There won't be any sorcerers. There won't be any witches. There won't be any perversion. There won't be any tears. There won't be any pain. There won't be any suffering. There won't be any death. There won't be any hospitals. There won't be any graveyards. And then God goes on to say from there, you say, well, if we're not going to be doing all that, what are we going to be doing? Then he says, eye hath not seen, ear hasn't heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. God says it's going to be so good, I can't even describe it to you. Your natural senses won't be able to appreciate what we're talking about. That's how good it's going to be. And so what does God do? He emphasizes in the book of Revelation what won't be there. And what's not going to be there, folks, is all the limitations and problems 
associated with these bodies that we wear now. And so our loved ones that have gone on to be with the Lord are with Him, spirit and soul, but they don't have their bodies yet. Neither do we. And the Bible says in, in 1 Thessalonians 4 that the dead in Christ shall rise what? First. They'll rise first. And they'll rise with their new bodies. They're not going to rise with those, their bodies as they are right now in the grave, decomposing. They're not going to rise that way. They're going to rise transformed. And we will be changed. The Bible says in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. Because we're not going to heaven with these either. You start flying from here to the third heaven at the speed of light. Um, this here isn't going to be able to endure that trip. I think of those, those poor souls that went down in that submergible thing. And I think maybe one of the great benefits of not being a super rich person is you haven't got enough money to do something that stupid. I, really, I thought every one of them that lost their lives in that stupidity did it because they had about a, what was it, a quarter million to a half a million dollars for, to be able to do that, to just throw away on something like that. But what was the problem? They didn't have the bodies for the environment that they were going down into. They just, their bodies weren't suited for that, and the, the vessel that they were in failed them. And uh, very sad situation indeed. But one of these days, God's going to give us bodies for the place that we're going. And it'll be a body suited to that environment. Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 8. And we'll close with this and we'll finish up on these thoughts next week. And the, the most important thing I want you to see in this portion of Scripture that as far as God is concerned, He sees it is already done. You talk about eternal security, folks. People say, oh, you believe in once saved, always saved. I believe in once saved, already in heaven. Paul said, from whence our conversation is in heaven. Our conversation is there already. We're told in the book of Ephesians, uh, the second chapter, that he made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus already. We're just waiting for this thing to catch up with it. And notice that God sees it as already done. Go to Romans chapter 8, and we'll pick up the narrative in verse 28. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Now watch what he predestinated, to be conformed to the image of his Son. It doesn't say they were predestinated to be saved. They're predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son. How many of you are saved here this morning? You know Christ is your Savior. Lift your hand up. All right, you are now predestinated from the time you got saved to be conformed to the image of God's Son. You're going to get that resurrection body. It's going to be supernatural, and it will have heavenly characteristics, unlike the one you have today. He says that he might be the firstborn, notice that word, firstborn, among many brethren. And that's the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn, those that will have that likeness of that heavenly body. And then the Bible says, moreover, he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, them he also justified. Whom he justified, them he also Look at that next word, glorified. And notice it's in the past tense. It's already done as far as God sees it. 
as far as God sees it, it's already done. You're just waiting to catch up to the program, folks. You're just waiting to catch up to the program. So if you've been looking in the mirror and wondering about dumping a couple pounds that you've been trying for 10, 15, 20 years to dump, don't worry, it's going to happen. If you've been looking in the mirror and wondering about God's sense of humor when he puts your face together, <laughs> or some other part of your physique when he put you together, if you're wondering about that, don't worry. You're getting a, a perfect body someday. If you're wondering about the aches and pains, if you're going to have to live forever with those things and the limitations, and, uh, you know, I think when Adam and Eve fell, they just did a real complete job. Because my wife and I were talking about it a number of years ago. You know, you think you get old and everything starts to break down and now you start getting all these limitations and you start losing a lot of the things you could do before. And you would think, okay, the one thing we've got, one thing we do have is we've been around a long time and we have all these great memories. And then it's Alzheimer's. And then it's dementia. And then it's a trip to memory care at the nursing home. I mean, when Adam and Eve fell, folks, they did a, they did a classic job, a complete job. And one of these days, folks, that's all going to be behind us. That's going to be, a, I was going to say a distant memory, but one of these days it won't even be a memory. It will just be gone. And everything will be different. Everything will be right. Everything will be the way it was before the fall. And are you ready for this? And then some. And then some. And so... Uh, look at this sandwich. The two pieces of bread are verse 28 and 31. Look what he says in 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? If God's for us in that way, to where everything is all set up, to where we've got a glorified body waiting for us, then what's the worst thing that can happen to us? Who can be against us? What's somebody going to do? Kill us and send us to heaven? That's the worst they can do. You say, well, somebody wants to kill me for my faith. They're going to kill you and send you to heaven. If God be for you, who can be against you? God's got it all set up. And then you look at verse 28. That's why verse 28. You can't, an unsaved person can't apply verse 28. You take Joel Osteen and these uh, feel-good preachers that um, really don't preach against sin and preach repentance and faith toward Jesus Christ, and they, they encourage lost people to claim the promises of God. A lost person cannot claim, verse 28, all things don't work together for good, because if they die without Christ, where are they going? They're going to hell, folks. They're going to hell. And uh, I'm, I'm sorry if I, I kicked this, you know, one of your sacred cows there, but, but that's the problem. That's the problem. Uh, for the Christian... We can claim verse 28 because of what's in verse 29, 30, and then we can claim verse 31 because of what's in verse 29 and 30. It's already set, folks. The future is bright. The future is bright. And um, I just had one of those weeks where I just got totally sick and tired of all the news of the day and all the garbage and all the corruption and all the nuttiness. My goodness, I, I, I'm, look, you do what you want with this. Maybe, it's, maybe I'm old school, I don't know what, 
but I, I, I still can't even get over the idea that anybody's even talking about this trans business, much less doing it. And we have people in positions of responsibility in this country that think it's okay, that it's good, it's virtuous, that minors should have this done to them. Folks, if that's not child abuse, if that's not mutilation, if that's not abuse in its worst forms, I don't know what it is. And I look at the news of the day, and if you keep your eyes on that, folks, it can get you discouraged. But if you'll keep your eyes on what God said is our future, you'll stay encouraged. What a blessing. Glorification. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the patience of your saints as we went on a little bit long. Father, I pray that those looking in this morning without Christ and those perhaps in this building here with us would come to a realization, Lord, they can't take care of what lies ahead without Jesus Christ. Help them not to want to go into eternity without Jesus Christ. Lord, help them to realize they need him as an advocate and they need him to get them out of the grave someday into a better place with a glorified, supernatural, heavenly resurrection body. We pray, Father, that the best way they know how they might come to you as a sinner in need of salvation and repentance and trust Christ who died on the cross for their sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. Father, may we as believers this morning set our hopes on those things that are above, set our affection on things above, not on things on this earth, because, Father, our eternal destiny is sealed, it's settled. And you made it very clear in your word this morning in Romans chapter 8 that you see us as already having that glorified body. We look forward to it someday. And we look forward to the loved ones who have gone on before us in Christ that they will someday get that body as well. And we pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 627. Number 627, what a day that will be. Glorious day that will be. 
mind up here and close us in prayer, please? Lord God, thank you so much for this sanctuary, this church, this building, this place, this time. It is an insane world, God. This world is absolutely insane. They hate you. They hate us because of you. And then you give us a place that we can come on Sunday and give us a pastor that just refresh us, God. That is the word that I feel today. I feel like refreshed because of this church. Thank you so much. God, we thank you for what Jesus Christ did because we wouldn't be here if it were not for that. We would not be clean. We would not be saved. We would not, would not have the hope of heaven. Thank you so much for how good you are to us. And I pray, God, I pray that a little bit we can return it this week, that in some way we can all witness your glory to others, that we could tell them about how great you are and what you could do for them too. Thank you, thank you so much for your kindness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.